Gerard, will you kindly explain to this committee why you keep in your refrigerator bottles full of animal blood? I choose not to answer that question under the protection of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. Monster! Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. It's a Forever Night episode. Season 1, episode 14. Spin Doctor. Which, as I noted on the previous Forever Night episode, is the second lowest rated episode after Dead Air. I don't think that's fair. I don't, I don't think it's fair. Uh, this episode was pretty solid. I remember this episode as being weird, but I think it's just because I was like 12 and it's all about politics and I did not right. give a shit. Yeah. That would be my guess. Because it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. All of the political zealousness is totally realistic. It is. I don't believe Natalie's necessarily. Uh, maybe as in a reaction to Skanky's. Yeah, as just like feeding off of it. Yeah. But... It wasn't bad. I yeah. mean, we've watched some episodes that we were like, oh, God, what what, what did we just watch? <laughs> um, this wasn't one of them. I didn't feel like this was one of them. Yeah. But I guess we'll just get into it. So, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we open and there's an election coming. And for some reason, it's like the Thunderdome. Two candidates enter, one candidate leaves. <laughs> They're all camp the both campaigns are camped out in the same hotel. Different yeah. wings of the same hotel, which is ridiculous. So either there's not that many hotels in Toronto. Or whoever is in charge of booking people for this hotel <laughs> is fucking amazing at their job. Because they were like, I know. I know exactly how to fill every room in this hotel for like a week. I've been to Toronto. It's a really big city. There's lots of hotels there. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know there's a lot of hotels there. I'm just saying. <laughs> so it's, it's very unrealistic. Who convinced both candidates? I was even in Toronto in the 90s. Oh, you were. Oh, my God. Well, this was on. It's like my dream. Yeah, it would have been like 93. We went to Fort Niagara one time and we could see Toronto across the water. And I was just like, look, it's so close. It's the skyline from forever night. Old Fort Niagara. Yeah. In upstate New York. Yeah. Is a like state park. Right. Slash historical site. Yeah. For any listeners that don't know about it, across the water. So we open on election night. So for whatever reason, it's like the the election hunger games in this ep- in this hotel. 
It doesn't the hotel matter. is full of journalists. Right, because we immediately segue into a who's who of terrible things from the 90s. Because this guy is in a bath, which is like salmon-colored salmon colored uh, porcelain. Oh, yeah. It's like a 70s era renovated bathroom. No, this was the 90s. You, got you think salmon, so? Yeah, salmon colored shell, the shell sink with the shell shape on the sink. I mean, this is all, okay, this is high, high 90s. This is luxury. If you had colored bathroom fixtures in the 90s, you had fucking made it. That's why Nick's bathroom fixtures are black. And this person's fix this hotel's fixtures are all Isn't Nick's salmon toilet colored. black? Everything in Nick's bathroom is black. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we just found that out last episode because he ran in there while he was screaming, running in terror from a I'm small blind! Child. I'm blind. <laughs> but we okay. pan we pan along the wall and there's, there's a bra hanging off the towel holder. Right. And this guy is in the tub. The salmon-colored tub. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette. Smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Watching a portable television Watching. propped on the edge of the tub. <laughs> but it's like, you're, you're thinking small portable television, but portable televisions in the 90s were the same length as a regular CRT TV. They just had... They just had a small screen. Okay, hold on. So let's, let's think. Is there a comparable device... Yeah, your that, phone. You'd just be sitting... No, no, no. Room. A size device. Mm. A comparable size device that modern, like, Gen Z listeners would be familiar with. Honey, nobody under the age of 35 is listening uh, to this. Hold on. <laughs> Our niece has admitted she listens to this podcast. She listens to it to fall asleep. Okay. But this is the beginning She'd still be awake right now. Okay. Hi. Uh, anyway, I'm trying to give, give an understandable reference. There object. is not much stuff that people interact with. A computer tower. A straight up computer tower. Not built into the yep. monitor. Just a regular. A desktop computer tower. Desktop computer tower. Is a similar length. A little taller. You can see it in the show. But they were quite large and quite heavy, like very heavy. Yeah, because they had a metal frame and a lot of uh, metallic parts inside. Yeah, so he's doing everything that can get you killed in the 90s. He's bathing next to an electronic device. He's smoking. And someone just hurries everything along by walking in and chucking the TV into the bathroom. Which I'm wondering, I'm wondering what this person's backup plan was. Like they snuck into the room. What if uh, if the TV wasn't there? What was the plan to kill him? Well, we find out later they have a gun. So yeah, um, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, I definitely could have used. I a just gun. wanted to bring it up. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter because they toss it in there, and then the remote floats artfully across <laughs> the top of his face. <laughs> Which I'm impressed that this portable TV had a remote. That is, that's like. Top of the line. It may have even portable had, TV in 1992. It may have even had more than 12 channels. 13? 13. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Hold it's the big phone. money for that extra channel. Oh my God. 
But we find out pretty quickly because after we go to the bottom, bottom, we come back. Brought across in 12, blah, blah, blah. 28. 12, 28. Listen, you're going to be watching with this, this with me. You got to get the facts straight. Brought across in 12, blah, blah, blah. I don't even. I can't even with you right now. Skip intro button. <laughs> oh, oh, you wound me, sir. You wound me. Hey, Rachel, fast forwarded through the intro this time. Do you know how many times I have watched the intro to Forever Night? You might as well count the stars in the sky. <laughs> but we find out pretty quickly that this is Gilbert Reeves, and he's a journalist of no note. He's not with any no particular... No professional affiliation. Yeah, no professional affiliation. Full freelance. Which Skanky says, at least he died... Like, at least he died honorably. Uh, no, he died clean. He died clean, because yeah. he wasn't associated with any particular journalistic endeavor. But they're investigating the room, and Nick just reaches into his luggage and pulls out this medallion, which he is wearing a glove? Which, no, he's not wearing a glove. Okay. I thought this was, oh, a, re- picks it up this a, was a respectable effort yeah. at maintaining, like, forensic cleanliness. He uses a pen... To scoop up the chain. And then when he wants to show Skanky, he drapes it across his jacket sleeve. <laughs> okay, great. Like, he learned that one time when he was a jeweler for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but then he pulls a handkerchief out of his pocket and sticks it in his wad of boogers. No, okay. <laughs> he does not. Up. No, he doesn't have mucus. He's a. He's a <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> he can't get... Are, are we delving into vampire mythology he again? He can't get a cold. He can't get a cold. He can't get sick, so he can't have excess mucus. So he's probably just got this handkerchief to hand to damsels in distress. He really does gravitate towards the damsels in distress. Right. So I can totally believe that Nick just has a stock of cloth kerchiefs <laughs> in his pocket to be like... <laughs> Oh, here you go. He just pulls it out and hands it. It's probably embroidered, too. And he's like, And he just says, you can keep it. It's like a relic from when we used to give away tokens of affection. (laughs) He's just like, here you go. You keep that. No, no, don't give it back. Just think of me every time you blow your nose on it. And hand-a-dandily, they double as evidence bags. Yep. So he sticks it in a kerchief and sticks it in his pocket. And they are for sure that this TV was an accident. Right. That I, You and I both remarked on this. Yeah. They immediately jump to, oh, this was definitely a murder. Yeah. Because someone had to have thrown this TV in the yeah. tub. Yeah, what did it do? Levitate and it, fall in it by itself? It couldn't have accidentally... He couldn't have been like getting into the tub and setting the TV down on the edge and whoops, slipped a little bit and bloop, dropped yeah, the TV in the tub. It's legit just resting on a towel. He could have hit the towel with his leg when he was standing up, yeah. tipped it just past its... He could have even just been like... Center of gravity. Stretching out his legs. He could have just tipped it past its center of gravity and it just gone boop. Right Which, in the tub. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking like, yeah, you move, you stretch out your legs because no tub is long enough for you to stretch out your legs unless you know, if you're an adult male <laughs> of average height or Six taller. Foot, yeah. 
but but when the TV falls into the water, he has his legs stretched out, and there's room between his feet and the end of the tub. That's because he was sitting up to smoke. He also saw whoever was coming in, and he sits up slightly. So he could have been in the process of rising from the tub when they chucked the TV in. Oh, no, he was dozing. He's dozing in the tub. That was the third thing I thought. Oh, good, that could get you killed. He's smoking, he's sleeping in the tub, and he's got a large electronic appliance sitting right next to it. And so this only happens... The electrocuted in the tub only happens if you don't have proper circuit breakers installed. Okay, thank you for that. Wow. You should have gone back in time to the 90s and been like, guys, this isn't great. We can't. We can't use this as a trope. That would have immediately tripped a 20-amp circuit breaker. My whole childhood is a lie. I feel like every single series had somebody dying from something falling. That's part of growing up is learning about all of the pieces of your childhood that are just straight-up lies from your parents or the media. (laughs) Wow, that was fucking bleak. (laughs) Where do we go from here? (laughs) (laughs) We go on to the next plot beat. When does the path become clear? Okay, that was the Buffy musical for anybody taking any kind of notes. All right, so we go into our immediate flashback here. We go into our flashback here, which our flashback... The the flashbacks are aggressive. They're aggressive, and they're in black and white, so they are jarring. Intense. Intense and jarring every time we jump to them. And the filming is very intense. It's very close-up on Nick's face. A lot of tilted angles. Yeah, and we're supposed to get, like, distress, aggression, anger, fear. We get all of it. It's great. Right, disorientation. And this is our first hint at what our flashback is going to be about. And it's that Nick got caught up in the communist. Red scare. Red scare. The McCarthy McCarthyism. Yeah. And then we're immediately back. We're also very quick. Quick flashback. Quick in, quick out. For the majority of the time. We, like last week, we got some kind of ponderous flashback where we got an actual separate storyline for the flashbacks. We're not really getting that this time. We're just getting a immediate, instantaneous experience that he had that relates to what's going on. And we get a few moments where we see one of the candidates. And they're being asked about some of their planks, whatever the stuff that makes up their... their planks? Yeah, plank, your platform is made up of planks. Did you know that? I've never heard that phrase. Yeah, your planks. The individual issues that make up your platform are referred to as planks. Um, today's a learning day. <laughs> and today is a learning day. Thank you for rattling your glass in the microphone. It's uh, ASMR. <laughs> so the, <laughs> he's asked about homelessness, but what's he going to do about homelessness in Toronto, which is a big issue for us because we've interacted with homeless. The people experiencing homelessness um, a lot. In this series. In this series. So I'm interested to hear what he's going to say, going to do as well. And he just says, are they homeless by choice? They simply won't tolerate it. As a family man, I'm very concerned about the future of my children in this city. Where do you stand on the homeless issue? My answer is a question. Are these people homeless by choice? Like these sensitive issues are 
Better discuss in a more appropriate venue. Mr. Hyatt. You dodged that one well. He's a master at it. Have you noticed how his head looks a lot bigger in person? He's got my vote. We need somebody tough in office. Oh, come on. He's as phony as his hair weave, skank. That's a weave? I'm going to answer your question, question with, with a question. question. Are these people homeless by choice? Spoiler alert, guys. Probably not. Probably not. Which we cut back to Nick and Natalie and Skanky. And Skanky's like, oh, that was a great dodge. He did such a good job. That was not a great dodge. If a candidate answered with that question, they'd be on every social media getting slammed with, what the fuck do you mean are people homeless by choice? That's a horrible phrasing. That's horrible. And Natalie's like, yeah, right. Well, his unless you Unless you immediately follow it up with, Okay, here we go. Okay. This one, All right. here's here's a situation where that question could go across well. Are these people homeless by choice? Fucking no. Fucking no one would be homeless by choice. Fucking, I'm not saying no one. Okay. Only like, Sith deal in absolute. There's like 10 people who are homeless by choice. In the world. No, okay. So (laughs) this is a complex issue that we're not going to solve on this podcast. (laughs) But there is no reason to assume that anyone is homeless by choice. That does not mean that there is no one who is homeless by choice. Right. There are people who choose that lifestyle. Correct. And there are people who are by debt. We have, we personally, in our past, have been, by definition, homeless. Yep. It was not by choice. And luckily... It was all circumstance. Yeah. And luckily, we live, we exist in a space that has a, a lot of... dynamic. That has a lot of support. And yes. we were able to move through that period of our lives and move past it. But not everyone exists in that space, right. and many people find their selves find themselves in the place that we found ourselves in, and they don't have a handout. Right. They don't have a hand up. They they have no safety net. Right. So, anyway, moving on. <laughs> this <was> the fact <laughs> I that I didn't mean to be controversial. That's okay. The fact that they immediately come out. I mean, that Nick and Natalie both immediately are like. Okay, Nick Skanky's like, well, that was a good dodge. And um, Natalie immediately results to ad hominem. She attacks, she attacks Hyatt instead of breaking apart his argument. She says, well, he's as false as his hair weave. Yeah. And Skanky's like... Straw man. Yeah, and Skanky's like, his hair? His hair's real. That's just real hair. And boop, but this is our, this is supposed to illustrate that Skanky and Natalie are on opposite sides of this. She is supporting the yes, woman and, and he is they do the a man. good job of setting up Skanky and Natalie as adversaries. They're very combative about the yeah. political orientation. That their usual banter has evolved to a point where they are actually on opposite sides of this conflict. This Which political conflict. In in the Western, like modern Western culture, to even be able to banter like this with somebody about politics is a signal of intimacy. Yes. 
like even to be able to make offhand comments to somebody of the like opposite political orientation uh, without having to worry about being like completely ejected from their life. Yeah. Um, is like, I feel comfortable enough with you to, to like reveal to have a dialogue, my stream of consciousness about this political event. Right. And which skanky immediately torpedoes by going broad for mayor. Broad for mayor. Wow. Skanky. (sighs) Wow. We've gone what? Two, three episodes without any tangible, casual sexism. Norton is the best thing that could ever happen to this city. Oh man, better looking too. Broad for mayor, yeah, right. Excuse me, a woman for mayor? Thank you. And what is wrong with that? So he just had to throw it in all at once. Yeah. He just had to drop. Yeah. He goes. Drop this bomb. Yeah. He goes hard. There's probably like three lines in this episode where it's like, come on, Skanky. Right. Come on. Uh, but we are distracted from this. Uh, by they found Mona Wayne, which Mona Wayne is the woman who had checked in with our murder victim. And they found her and they bring her over. And Nick and Skanky are extremely uncomfortable to tell her that her husband, her fiance slash boyfriend has passed away. They do a horrible job communicating. Yeah, they are beating around the bush so hard they miss the bush. I mean, they're just... Yeah, they're like, so you know the guy that you checked in with? And she's like, yeah. They're like, well, he was taking a bath um, by himself. The TV ended up in the bath. And they're like, well, he was watching TV, and um, the TV kind of uh, fell in the bathtub with him. Well, is he okay? And they're like, no, no. They they don't even say no. They just look at each other significantly. Yeah. And and then then look back at Mona. And then we cut to the interrogation room. What the fuck, guys? Just say... Hey, Mona. Yeah. There was an accident. Uh, Gilbert Reeves is dead. Shit got real, Mona. And uh, we wanted to make sure you didn't, you knew as early as possible. Right. You're, right. you're, yeah. So they take her to the, to the interrogation room. And at first I thought they were showing her a picture. Of, of the necklace? The ne- of the necklace, which says, by the way. Right, because she's running her finger along the edge of the like pendant. On yeah, this and I was like, oh, okay, they showed her a picture of it, and it's still on Nick's handkerchief, huh? Isn't that interesting? Oh no, they just straight up handed her the pendant and let her. Touch that has it. not been processed by forensics. Yes. It has not gone through proper nope. chain of custody. Nope. Nope. Eh. Which this pendant, by the way, says "Make luck and steer fate." Uh, she, but she doesn't know anything. In fact, she we go over the top to establish yes, it how, is. how simple and... Oh, all of this confuses me so much. Yeah, oh, politics Gilbert so, was oh, the one who was passionate about it. Yeah, she's the, the, I don't know, the Mary Sue archetype. The, not, I don't want to say she's dumb. That's unfair. Naive. Naive. Um unworldly very sweet but simple and sad and has nothing no it doesn't know anything except that they had come to this hotel to close some kind of big deal for a lot of money 
And she's never seen this medallion before, Mm. which I just want to point out now, we figure out where the medallion came from. I mean, we figure out who originally owned the medallion, but we don't ever figure out how he has it on a necklace in his suitcase. Just going to let that lie there. Okay. So real quick opening scene. Yeah. There's a bra hanging on the towel rack. Yep. Okay. The person who ended up with the medallion wears bras. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I thought, oh, maybe she seduced him Mm. and she was in the hotel room and that's how she was in there to drop the TV in the tub. Okay. Yeah, maybe. But, but... Given the angles in the last scene with her, the bra that was hanging off the towel rack was way too small. (laughs) Trust Matt to be like, that can't be her. Her boobs are way too big. (laughs) Too big. I can't. (laughs) She was extremely busty, and that was a small bra. She's also. Oh, I'll I'll get to that one later. But Mona, that bra looked like it might have fit Mona. Well, good. I'm... You know what? I, I, just I am want, going to defer to your expertise the, in the boob department. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not afraid of a good pair of boobs, but I just don't study them. I, as, I just want to rule that out. As you do the the bra in the bathroom scene. Yeah, I think was not a signal that what's her name, um, Laura. N- Laura was. Uh, I don't think that wasn't Laura's bra. That's fair. So, which doesn't really out her seducing him to get into the bedroom with Can him. Can you imagine how that scene went? She seduced him. They did what they needed to do, and then he was like, "Babe, I'm gonna go take a bath and smoke and watch my stories." <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, "Okay, uh, I'll be in in a little bit to kill you." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mona gets up and leaves because. They're going to get her another room in the hotel, and she doesn't really have anything to say. And Nick does say, let's make sure that security's watching her, because, you know, we don't want anything to happen to her. Cause you think she's a suspect? Right. And Stone Tree says, uh, yeah, absolutely, she could be a suspect, Skanky, because she was in the room. Um, she had access to the room. She had access to everything. There's literally no reason to believe that she might not be a suspect. Don't fall for she the might be playing dumb. sweet Mary Sue act. Uh, spoiler alert. She's not She's not the bad guy. Uh, but Stone Tree gives them a brief, a brief lecture on, we need to keep this quiet. It's really close to the election. Anything that's happening around this investigation could affect the election. And so if anybody shoves a camera in your face, you just say no comment. None of this has anything to do with the campaign. Oh, come on, Captain. I mean, Reeves was covering the election. It's going to be tough to keep a lid on it. It's called spin control, detective. Somebody pokes a microphone in your face and they will. You offer no comment. And what he should have also said is you all need to recuse yourself of any activities which might imply any bias yeah. in the positions of the individuals working for the police department on this case. Well, good thing he didn't, because I don't know that anybody would have listened to him anyway. 
But we cut to the coroner's office, and Natalie is looking through a magnifying glass. <laughs> and we just see her eye, and she's like, I can't get it. Skanky, you try. And so Skanky hops over, and he takes whatever tool she's using. And we don't know what they're working on. And Matt was genuinely outraged for, like, the three minutes that we don't know what they're working on. <laughs> He's like, what? Like, what? Hang on. No. 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 <laughs> no. Skanky should not no, nobody, be filling in for Natalie. <laughs> nobody gives Skanky permission to to do autopsies on these dead bodies. No. Well, it turns out. They're fixing an ATV antenna. Well, they're trying to get something out. Something's lodged in the TV and they need oh, to get it out. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. the fingernail. Yeah. It turns out to be a bloody fingernail. So whoever picked the TV up ripped their fingernail off in the process. The tool, by the way, looked like a spatula, like a medical spatula. And they are arguing the whole time. Skanky in favor of Hyatt, Natalie in favor of Norton, who is the female candidate. And Nick is just like, oh, my God. This is not the time. What the fuck, guys? This is not the actual place. Keep your head in the game. What the actual fuck? Can you please, please, please... Shut up about the election and, oh, I don't know, investigate the case. And almost immediately, doesn't Nick go right into a flashback? Yes, yeah. We, we <laughs> Which, I thought it was funny that Nick was like, guys, guys, keep your head in the game. Stay focused on what's happening right now. And then, <laughs> hold on. I need to go look into the past. What's that memory up in the upper right-hand corner? (laughs) Oh, yes. Let's take a moment to look at you. Uh, Well, we just get these, like, bam, flashback in, flashback out. It's almost like he makes eye contact with the camera, Yeah, and then we cut over to the flashback. They do an extremely good job. Like it's coming at him really fast. They do an extremely good job of conveying in this episode that this memory is particularly painful. For Nick, and that he doesn't like being reminded of whatever it is that he's being reminded of. Because we don't really explicitly spell anything out. We don't see the conclusion of his trial. We don't see why he ended up there in the first place. We're just witnessing his discomfort in this trial. And we get the sense that this was an extremely painful thing for Nick. And we convey that with these quick in and out flashbacks. The fact that it's in black and white, the fact that he doesn't linger on the memory, that he's always like, it comes to him unbidden almost. And then he just pushes it away as fast as he can. But we get these. When we, when he returns from the flashback, he doesn't have like a recovery period like usual. No, he's just like, oh god, like stop! I don't, I don't even want to think about this. Like this is an intrusive thought that he has regularly. Exactly. Yes. Like this is some kind of recurrent obtrusive thought that he's happening because of, that is happening because of the situation that he's in, and not because he voluntarily wants to remember this. And they do a really good job of conveying that right throughout the episode. Yeah, like sometimes the flashbacks, it's almost like. Okay, like I'm having trouble putting into place the current situation. There's a thing that happened a long time ago that might be relevant, that might give me some wisdom about yeah. how to approach this. Let me, let me like 
recall that memory and like go relive it for a moment yeah. and see if I can extract the necessary wisdom from this previous event. Almost like an autistic person would do where you're like, I don't know how to react socially in this situation. So I'm going to recall. I need a, a reference time. point. I, I need a reference point. I'm going to recall a time that I successfully did this or unsuccessfully. And I'm either going to do the same thing again if it was successful or I'm going to try something different if it was unsuccessful last time. Right. Because Whereas I don't. These are more like trauma. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely feels like trauma. That's a good way to describe it. For sure. And so Nick is like, listen, you guys, fucking focus, okay? Focus. I'm doing the hand gesture from 12 Monkeys. He's like, <laughs> focus. <laughs> and then he goes off. Ooh, to should the, we do 12 Monkeys? Oh, God, of course we're going to do 12 Monkeys. Do All right. Know? Okay, anyway. Put it so, on the list. So he goes off to the National Intruder. <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely not the National Enquirer. Oh, no. Oh, no. Absolutely not. not. Oh, absolutely it's not. It's the National Intruder. <laughs> so he goes to the <laughs> they National... They even have like a, a vinyl screen on the window yeah. in the office that they go into. It's like they they put a lot of prep into this. Yeah. To the scene. National Intruder. Well, they didn't have to put as much into the flashback this time, so it's fair. Yeah. I, the flashback was all one set. Yeah. But this is who um, Gilbert was talking to. This is who he'd been calling. This from. is one of the people that Gilbert Reeves called. Right. So Nick shows up at the newspaper office and he's like, so um, what were you talking to Gilbert about? And this guy was like, well, I was hoping to buy a story from him. But if he's dead, I guess I'm not going to be able to buy the a story from scandal. him. Whatever. Some kind of About one scandal. of the candidates. The funniest part about this scene is there's an article posted on the back of the wall that says uh, <laughs> like Rockstar comes back to life. Claims he's a 500-year-old vampire. Or wasn't it famous Rockstar is a 400-year-old vampire? Yeah, but it's something about them. It's Elvis, because when we pan out, it's Elvis. Oh, okay. I didn't get the Elvis reference. Yeah, well, I'm going to see if I can find a picture of that. I'll put it on the Instagram. The Instagram. Not just Instagram. It's the Instagram. The Instagram. It's like the diabetes. (laughs) So we get another flashback while he's in the newspaper office and they're really just like bombarding him which is why it feels like intrusive thoughts and the guy's like if i were you i'd check out the girlfriend because whoever he was sleeping with knows all the dirt and you better keep an eye on her because she's you got to go to the source you've got to go to the source and so nick's like okay so he goes up to the the roof and just takes off from the roof I gotta say, they're getting much better at the flying scenes. They're making them shorter. They're like they're scaling. They're scaling the quality by shortening the length and proportionally improving the production quality. Yes. So this was just him jumping and whoosh for like I don't know three seconds at most. At most. And. It works. It works. For a 90s flying scene, it works. Yeah, I buy it. And (laughs) doesn't Nick call Skanky, like, before he leaves? And he's like, keep an eye on her. She might be in danger. I'll be right there. Yeah. so while we were watching the episode, I was like, okay, Skanky, 
One, two, <laughs> but Skanky's three. in. He's in the headquarters right now because he goes off and signs up to be in the call center for Hyatt. He volunteers to cold call people. Yeah, for the, the campaign. The first person he Which, calls is luckily, Myra. <laughs> and he's like, he calls Myra. Myra. He's like, Myra, am I registered to vote? <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally something I would call Rachel about. <laughs> Rachel, am I registered You'd to be vote? Like, did, did I register to vote? Spoiler alert: Matt didn't before the last election, which tend to register. No, ahead I'm, of time. I was registered. Mm. I was registered at the old address. Ah, yes. I didn't update it for this address. Right, but he gets there. But unfortunately, she's eaten a cyanide laced. <laughs> I Pillow called bench. it. I called you it. You did. She sat you down on the bed. Did and she extremely conspicuously unwraps this chocolate and eat it. Eats it. And I was like, I was eighty percent sure, but I said it with a hundred percent confidence. As you do. As that's you do. The, that's the way I live my life. It is. It is one. And I was like, oh, too bad. Somebody poisoned the chocolate. And Rachel's like, what do you mean? Like, she, it was way too deliberate how much they focused on her eating that chocolate. Yeah. Something is important about that chocolate. Somebody's trying to kill her. She's dead. Just, as, just Nick, as Nick arrives on the balcony. He just, you know what? The balcony is a handy way. Listen, you want hey, a vampire they proof didn't, place? They didn't reuse the footage of him flying up the outside of the building. Nope. They didn't reuse any footage for that scene. For that scene. For that scene. And he, we cut to Natalie in the coroner's office, and Nick says, I guess it's not the first time someone has died in my arms. You did all you could. <laughs> Which... <laughs> wow, the as, implications of that one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, okay. At this point, it's probably useful to make a distinction about died in my arms versus died by my hand. <laughs> Right, it's, it's it's a subtle yeah. difference in phrasing. Yes, with huge, huge <laughs> implications, implications about the context in which that happens. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes. And Natalie's like, okay, moving on. Like, I don't want to think about that too deeply because, oh, holy shit, I don't want to think about that too <laughs> deeply. And so then we get like, oh my god. It's a sex scandal. This is our first. Like, I think we we didn't quite know it was a sex scandal before, but we're getting more into it now. That this might be some kind of sex scandal, and we get another little bit of flashback because Skanky and Natalie are fighting again about Hyatt and Norton, and Nick has a really good line. He says, "You have to pick whether you want to be zealous or, or thorough." thorough. I liked that line. Yeah. I really liked that line. He knows from experience. Yeah. He's basically like, I've been through this before where I had no choice. I was guilty before we even started. And I need you guys to get it's your like, game You can't serve on. two masters. Yeah. He's like, you both, neither one of you have any kind of evidence that proves that your candidate is innocent. At this point, literally everyone could be a suspect. So I need okay, you to okay. get the fuck over it. Let, let's rephrase this in terms of another quote. Let's see if anybody can 
<laughs> Tell us where this quote comes from. You can half-ass two things, or you can whole-ass one thing. <laughs> Parks and Rec. <laughs> I know that one. So Skanky goes back to election oh, headquarters. Ah, honey. I'm sorry, what? That was something you totally could have put on the Instagram. Half-ass two things or whole-ass one thing? Yeah. Hey, do you want to be part of the Instagram? Do you want to post something? I, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody. Nope. Figured nope. Out, figured out. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not my realm of expertise. That is not my strength. I love, love <laughs> that you have an Instagram. You occasionally log in and just like huge swaths of our Instagram page. But you have no posts and no followers. I had one. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let, let, me, let me correct this. Okay. For the let's, record. Let's talk about ratios. Let the record of show. Posts. <laughs> Two followers. Okay, okay, I'm ready. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> I let, will let the record show. Wow, honey. you. Okay. With my ratio. I'm ready to be wowed. Of posts to so, followers. Oh my god, I'm so ready. Okay. I have 34 followers, honey. Why? <laughs> I don't know. What? Why? I don't know. <laughs> you don't have any posts. It's all- uh, okay, so and about... And it's not even like you had posts and then deleted them. You have it's never like, had posts. It's like, ha? Well, okay, hold on. Okay, hey. There's more here. Okay, hold on. It's like a third, like friends and family, and then two-thirds, just like random people. Like, who is this? Why are they following me? I don't know. <laughs> who are you? Why are you following me? Popo way in me. No, you know what? Don't read them out loud. Shame. I know. I don't. Nope. Okay. So Skanky gets to the election headquarters, and he gets there super early. And this other lady arrives, and he's she's like, "Oh, he's poking through the desk." Yeah, she's like, "Oh, you're here early," and he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm just ready to go." And she goes, "Ah, oh, you know, I, I'm here well, to start the coffee." He says, "You're here really early too," like. Shoot, I lost my chance to dig through the desk. Right. And she's like, well, you know, I got to get the coffee started. And he goes, yeah, elections aren't won in bed, huh? And she goes, nope, but they can be lost in them. Oh, Mr. Skanky. Oh, hi. Hello. Hi. You're here early. Oh, yes. And um, so are you. Well, got to get the coffee on. Geez, I thought you'd be home sleeping in, hard as you've been working. Well, elections aren't won in bed. No, but they can be lost in bed. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. And then we cut to Nick, who is viewing newspapers on his um, computer. Which he's, he's, using he's going his... through microf- like digital microfiche or something? Yeah, some kind of digital scans, which... Considering he's using five and a quarter inch floppy disks for this, I think he could hold about, well, I don't know, three newspaper pages on one of those. Right. And he's viewing them at full size, high resolution on his rear projection widescreen TV. Which those projection screen TVs were like the higher end of high definition of the era. Yeah. 
of the era being if you, the key If you had a camera, if you had a source signal from a camera that was exactly matched to the TV, yeah. you could probably get that high resolution. But a computer, like video signal connection... From a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's. <laughs> <laughs> and we get our longest flashback yet, which is Nick, and he actually gets a chance to say, like, he was a the night curator and a professor of archaeology. Which at- this would have been the, like, his tenure in this profess- professor position. Seems like it overlaps with the Dark Knight uh, episode and the movie, like, time period. No, it's 1954. These flashbacks are to 1954. Yeah, which would have been 40 years ago. Yeah. Right? So in in the Dark, dark, the, the pilot episode. Yeah. Right? And in the movie. Yeah. They mention, oh, that was 40 years ago. What was? The dig at the... Um, Altoon what, Canal? Yeah. They do? Yeah, they said it was 40 years ago. Oh. And today I learned... <laughs> wow, and no. The, so that's, that's why... Are you? That's, okay. That's why she said the... in the It was more obvious in the movie. Yeah. The Rick Springfield movie. Nick Knight. Nick Knight. She was like, oh, well, that was before our time. Oh, and he's... Because it was for 40, around 40, 40 years, years ago, ago. Yeah. Was the dig at Alton Canal. See, I was just so distracted by Rick Springfield that I couldn't focus on anything that was going I don't on. think they made the 40 years ago comment in the Dark Knight pilot. No, maybe one of the things we cut out. Yeah. For the sake but of time. But they, they made the 40 years ago comment... Um. Along with the before our time. So Nick arrives. I mean, fair point. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Come on, just give credit where it's due. I did not Golf clap. Golf clap. So we're back at the headquarters for Hyatt's campaign. And Skanky's there. And Nick shows up. And Skanky's like, look, man, I... I can help a little. I found a couple of things, but like they're not admissible because I'm I'm here under different pretenses. Uh, false pretenses. And Nick's like, yeah, yeah, I get it, whatever. And so we're kind of cutting them talking. Which, when they when Nick first got there, he was looking real judgy about Skanky, and Skanky was like, I'm sorry, like okay, I can't man. I can't do anything because I'm here under false pretenses because I showed up with different intentions and nick's like oh okay yeah like which false just pretenses goes into my okay theory yeah that say what you want about skanky he is a good by the book cop right which makes him a good foil to nick knight's character right as the the man of more capacities he has the power to take advantage of his capacities to do things outside of the law. Like, okay. So Beyond the law, one might let's, say. Let's go on a tangent. 
Uh, what? I'm here for you. Let's go. Here's a position. I'm in the car with you. I'm riding along. The Nick yeah. has a lot of power to exert on the world. Yes. That is purely enforced by his own personal morality. And here we see Skanky's very by the books, yes. which is a foil. reflection, a, a foil, foil. Mm-hmm. of Nick's freedom to enact. Um, Ability to do whatever the fuck he wants. There you go. Yeah. Upon the world. Upon the world. And at will. At will. With and the only no thing, the only thing directing Nick's use of his vampire abilities is right now his position as a police officer, a detective. Yeah. Uh, specifically, that most of the things that he does day to day are under the scrutiny of Donut Don, who, when he shows up for the campaign, like phone calling thing. He's like, is that, are those like, donuts for us? Are those donuts for us? <laughs> <laughs> but that's why okay. having him as a very by the book, very good, very right, and, and so, honorable okay. in most, in, so we, for we've the referenced part. before that Nick didn't go through the normal hiring process. Probably. Right? He vampire hypnotized charmed his way into his role as a detective in the Toronto Police Department, which means almost every aspect of his employment situation he selected for deliberately, or at least he had the ability to select for deliberately. Yes. Okay, so one factor was he chose to work in a precinct that heavily worked with Natalie. Yes. Right? Don't get excited, Natalie. It doesn't mean anything. But yes. It's, it's okay to get excited, Natalie. <laughs> 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 this far into season one, there, there's a chance. There's a chance. You're right. You're right. I'm looking at this with eyes clouded by, by knowledge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That also... Terrible, terrible knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> that also means he had his choice of partners. Yeah. No. Remember, he wanted to look work alone. Specifically. The only reason, oh! he's, working, the only reason he's working with Skanky at all is because they forced him to have a partner. Well, okay. Remember? Hold somebody on. shoot me. Let's, let's, go, let's go back. He has the ability to vampirically manipulate everybody in the chain of command. Yes. Right. And that's how he got to where he is. To anyone he has physical access to. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So if he did not want to work with Skanky, he could have vampire hypnosis his way out. With some effort. With some effort. Yeah. Drinking some extra cowboy's blood, whatever. He, he could have... More like getting to everybody on the chain of command who was responsible for that decision. Right. But yeah. Which means, effectively, he chose to have Skanky as his partner. And so Skanky may have just been... 
The first ex- like acceptable choice of partner in a line of Stone Tree trying to force like or like push okay, a partner. Okay, so what on you're Nick. getting at is okay. that Nick likes Nick? having someone he associates with, who is an example of the type of human that is constrained by the rules that he is not. Someone that is an exemplar of the kinds of values and principles yeah. that he is striving towards. Yes. All right. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> okay. That's where I've been trying to get to for the last, I don't know, 15 minutes. It wasn't so bad. I peed in the middle of it. <laughs> like not right here. <laughs> I, I left and you The couch, honey. <laughs> you were we paid sixty dollars <laughs> for that couch. You were still talking. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to tell you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot to say. <laughs> it's better to burn out than, than to, to fade burn away. away. <laughs> <laughs> So whoop whoop back to Forever Night, like the episode in sp- we were talking about Forever Night. So it was hey, relevant. We it were was, on topic. It was topic we were, relevant okay, discussion. We weren't on a tangent. We were on a deep dive. We oh 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 we pointed at each other. It was a moment. Okay, we're in some kind of press conference here where Hyatt is coming to address his supporters and cold callers and all the people in this particular in the hotel. His um sanctioned zone of the his hotel. His wing. I like sanctioned zone better. <laughs> <laughs> and the police, the, the police, but the, the reporters are there and they're talking to him and they're getting a lot of questioning and Nick and Skanky talking and then questioning and then Nick and Skanky talking. And then one of the reporters holds up a, holds up a newspaper and it says like murders. Campaign cadavers. Campaign cadavers. <laughs> Murder most foul. So it's out that shenanigans have happened and that there were two murders and both candidates are currently suffering uh, from the campaign effects of being so closely associated with these murders. Closely associated in that they were physically in proximity to these murders. They were all in the same hotel. And Natalie is watching this on TV and getting increasingly irritated. And finally, she's like, oh, I can't take it. I can't take it. So she just right, gets in the car. Because they're badgering her candidate. Yeah. She, they, she gets in the car and heads to the hotel to, I don't know, set the record straight. And so Nick calls the coroner's office and we get our NPC that I would not mind if we had kept around more often. We actually see her three or four times. So she's not really. She's a recurring character. This is Grace. Yes. And I really wish we had made Grace a larger reoccurring character because Grace is too skanky as Nick is to Natalie. So Nick and Natalie are both sort of the dry. (laughs) Right. Grace is like, don't listen to me. I'm politically ignorant. Yeah. Grace is. Our foil for Natalie. And I wish we'd had her around more often because I really think that Natalie's character would have been deepened by having this relationship with somebody other than Nick. Because we really only ever experience Natalie in her context with Nick. 
Very rarely, very rarely do we see Natalie outside of her interaction with Nick. And so it's always nice when we get her as Natalie and not as Natalie as she relates to Nick. And Grace gives us that. And we don't see her enough. And when you guys remake this show, I want to see a foil for Natalie, who is a recurring character. Just going on the record right here. And he is calling to find out what the results of the DNA test are because Natalie had told him that she'd already sent that bloody fingernail off to get a DNA profile done. And Grace is like, oh, no, that sample's still in our, still in the safe. It's in Natalie's locker, and she doesn't have a way to get it. I didn't get the keys before she left. Yeah. And Nick's like, left? Where did she go? What the fuck? He's like, oh, my God, they did not listen to me. It is like herding cats. Hey, you know what? Last week, we thought Nick was getting a view of what it would be like to be a father. No, no, no. It's this week. (laughs) This is the more realistic scenario. Because Skanky. I I would say, okay, this episode is more the scenario of what it's like to be a parent of a teenager. Oh, yeah. Good point. Because they have some autonomy. And we finally start getting uh, more of a view of Norton's campaign manager, who is Laura. Yeah, she the, actually the played female in, candidate. She played in Earth Final Conflict. Did you ever watch Earth Final Conflict? Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the cool oh, yeah. like pull-out phone things. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that was the inspiration for Samsung's flexible display. God, I loved Earth Final the, Conflict. The, the tech lead at Samsung. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw an interview where they were like, oh, yeah, like Earth Final Conflict was one of the inspirations for the the Samsung Galaxy flexible displays. Yeah. They've been literally working on flexible displays since Earth Final Conflict. Maybe we'll add that to the list. That's a great forgotten sci-fi television show. Yeah. Wow, that was a good show. That was, it was kind of a politics-heavy show or yes. like yeah. diplomacy-heavy show as a, almost as like a more heavy-handed example of what Star Trek did. Yeah, because it's actually As a political Earth. commentary because it's in present day. Yeah. In the 90s. But Natalie shows up. And she talks to the press in a way that heavily implies oh, that Hyatt Natalie. is the bad guy. Even though she's not, she says no it's comment. It's all about tonality. It's all about tonality. And Nick is pissed. Pissed. He is so pissed. She leaves and gets in her car like, oh shit, what did I just do? And he gets in the car with her and he's like, oh no, you thought. You fucking thought. Oh no, you don't get off that easy. So am I supposed to drive you your car or what? Drive. Just drive. Just drive. Just fucking drive, Natalie. We got to talk. And so she's driving and she's kind of like, oh, flipping out a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. And he's like, listen. You're being an idiot about this, and I need you to chill the fuck out. And in the meantime, she's like, what is this guy behind us doing? Because there's a car acting erratically behind them. And, of course, this car runs them off the road, and we get 
a Michael Bay car flip where she runs up on a couple of cars. <laughs> yeah, Her Natalie's car, car gets pushed into the parking in the lane. Yeah. And conveniently, inconveniently, there was a ramp <laughs> in front of the first car in this line of cars Yeah, that causes them to f- ride up and flip over. And burst into flames all at the same time. But not until after Nick kicks the entire door off. Yeah. Gets them And out. pulls Natalie out. It bursts into flames as they're going up the ramp. It's pretty quick. No. Yeah. It doesn't. We're yeah. going to have to rewatch this scene. I'm not rewatching there it. There were right no now. flames while they were in the air. Of course, we had to pause the episode and go watch to make sure one of us was right and one of us was wrong. <laughs> you can turn off the TV now. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay. So they hit the line of cars. Yep. The first car in the line explodes. Of course. Of course. Because that's what happens. Uh-huh. And the flame ejected from that first car ignites the back end of Natalie's car on fire. Right. Well, okay. shit's on so fire. When they land upside down. Shit's on fire. The back quarter of the car is on fire. And that's when Nick kicks the door out. Shit is on fire. So Nick kicks the door out, pulls Natalie out. And somehow this just makes her more political. I don't know. They're, they're yelling at Stone Tree in the office after this about th- this is obviously Hyatt. But Hyatt's trying to silence me. I thought it me. was interesting. They didn't go to the hospital first. No, because Nick saved her with his. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but Stone Tree just looks tired. He's like, look, I don't care. This is me at the end of the day when the kids have just been talking to me all day and I'm like. Okay, yeah, whatever. You know what? I hear what you're saying. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. Why would Hyatt try to kill you after you had literally just insinuated that he was responsible for the murders on television? And you hold a lot of weight because everyone knows you're the coroner, which is sometimes an elected position. Uh, the, the head coroner. But she right. is the head coroner, right? Yeah, she is. She's the lead coroner. She's the lead coroner. I don't know how it works in Canada. But we also cut to the um, campaign manager here, Laura. And she is tippy-tapping away on the on the computer. And she has kind of an ominous conversation with Norton, where Norton's like, well, we'll just have to let the, let the voters decide. And she's like, oh, no, this isn't up to the voters. I'm going to get you to City Hall. I promised. And then we find out that Natalie has finally come through and started doing her job because she sent the DNA away. And for sure, the person that threw the TV into Gilbert's bathroom, you guys remember that case, that one? That that one that's kind of a subplot to what we really what is really happening in this episode. It was a woman that dropped that TV in there. And we get a flashback, another flashback. And it is about how Nick had blood in his fridge. Obviously, he's a communist. Only communists keep animal keep blood animal in their fridge. Keep animal blood in their fridge. <laughs> I love the people in the audience that are like, you animal. <laughs> you fell. You fell. <laughs> and um, Nick says, oh, you know what? I'm not going to answer that question. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I don't have to tell you about that. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I've been convicted. 
Why not sentence? Because oh, they yeah. ask like, him, how does it yeah, feel to know you've lost your job? he's being badgered by journalists yeah. as he's walking down the hallway. And he's like, I've been tried and convicted already. Why shouldn't I already be sentenced too? Right. Well, it's fair. And we're back at the precinct and we're back at the desk. You know the desk. It's the desk. The one right inside the door. That we use anytime we need to do any kind of filming with a bunch of people. And Nick is like, okay, so one of the numbers in Gilbert's address book, one of the old numbers in Gilbert's address book, used to be the number for an apartment that Norton had. Because Gilbert was at one time an alderman. And Norton and Which he, alderman is a political position yeah. in Canada. And Norton and he were associated, us associated, during the time that he was an alderman. And we realized that the the article that they found in the hotel room that they thought was the big scoop, which was about a scandal that had the already Rothweiler. broken the Rothweiler incident, which was about a, a thing that had already happened, uh, that wasn't actually his because... He had a habit of typing certain words a certain way. And in the planted article, none of those typos showed up. And so Nick gets up and gets his coat. And Skinky says, where are you going? And Nick says, I gotta dig a little deeper. I'm going to dig a little deeper. He could just say, I'm going to go get my shovel, Skinky, because it's time to dig a little deeper. (laughs) And it would have worked just fine. That would have been beautiful. That would have been a beautiful pun. <laughs> You're like, you know what this show doesn't have? This show has too few puns. You heard it from me first. And then we get some Euro minutes. It's our first Euro minutes, really. Okay, so I looked it up, and it looks like the only elected coroner position for for the, for the Toronto region is the Chief Coroner of Ontario. Oh, okay. So it's the... Head honcho. Uh, I think they are territories. Well, the equivalent, <laughs> Just like, okay. the equivalent of states in Canada. Yeah. So it looks like the lead coroner for the city would be an appointed position. Okay. Not elected. So after Nick goes to get his shovel, because it's time to dig... We get our first instance of Euro minutes in this episode, which is he's sitting at his piano doing the thing where he plays with the candle flame with his fingertips, which we've seen this one before. So this is some reused footage. It's a little reused filler. And then he changes his shirt because he changed. <laughs> That's what I love about these inserted scenes. <laughs> is... <laughs> the, the incongruous wardrobe change. Yeah. Because he's wearing a... Anyway, it doesn't... Okay, did we discuss the Euro minutes in the last yes, episode? Yes, yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's then he skips to watching recorded television. And he starts to see Laura in the background of all of these. A lot. A lot. A lot, a lot. A lot, a lot. And she has a very familiar medallion. Pinned to her lapel. Yeah, that someone actually pins to her lapel. In the video. In the video. And in real life. The exact same pin that Nick very carefully extracted from 
Man, the initial he's victim probably suitcase. still got it in his pocket right now. He could pull it out to reference it at any time. Yeah, it depends on whether he turned it into evidence at any point. I beg, I bet he didn't. But in real life, we're having a press conference. And Skanky has, uh, as he called it, switched sides. So he's now on the other side. And he's invest. He's investing. Wearing a hat with a telephone logo yes, on the Yes, he's just front. got a telephone, <laughs> a badge on his hat that's shaped like a standard tele- uh, telephone. He's like a, wearing a full jumpsuit. Yeah, with the full coveralls with the same badge on his name badge area. Where it's just a picture of a telephone, like a rotary telephone, a very yes. obvious telephone yeah. icon. <laughs> like, uh, I'm uh, a telephone an obvious telephone guy. icon in the nineties. In the nineties, and so he's posing as a telephone guy. So he's just walking around to desks, like picking up telephones and putting them up to his ear, and then putting and them like back down, pretending to push numbers. Like, I telephone. What <laughs> I telephone Why? guys. But then he gets over to. Uh, Laura Neal's desk. Yeah, and he's looking through and he's her. looking through her desk calendar. And she has a day marked "Make Luck." Make luck. Hmm, that doesn't sound ominous. No. But during this pe- press conference, Norton is reacting to the fact that Hyatt's campaign has been harmed by harming her own campaign to put them both back on equal footing. And she says, look, you guys are all blaming him for this stuff that happened with Gilbert because Gilbert broke this story about this scandal. Right. And if his association with the murders is hurting his campaign, then I'm going to level the playing field Yeah. by making an association of my own campaign with Gilbert. A sim with an another associated scandal because newsflash, guys. I used to bang Gilbert, he and I, the guy were, who died. Yeah, I was hitting that up, uh, not right now, hitting that in the past, some that. years ago, quote yeah. unquote, some years ago. Yeah, we had a relationship, which is why he had her phone number in his book, right. So we kind of knew that, but this is her revealing it. And I think my favorite plot element in this entire episode is the narrator guy. The guy that we keep cutting to, and he's got the microphone. Oh, okay. The and news reporter, the like, live action The live news action reporter. news reporter who is yeah. telling us, the viewer, what's happening, like summarizing what's happening in the political, political campaign for us, the viewer. About every, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes, he just keeps popping up. And it's this blonde guy with a microphone, and he's like, this just in. <laughs> and it framed like it would be for a news report of the time. Yeah. But it's in the middle of the episode. I think that's just a fun way to keep us in that this is a press-centric episode and to keep us up to date with the plot and to keep us moving through the plot. Right, and with the expected audience interpretation. Right. And we go, she leaves, she goes back to the back room to get some air, and Laura's there. And Laura's like, What, what the, the fuck, fuck was that? What the fuck, Norton? Why didn't you do it like I coached you? You betrayed me. She's like, What do you mean I betrayed you? I, I did what I needed to do. I, I leveled the playing field. I'm being a good politician. And this is where I thought. Well, she's being a good person. She's not being a good politician. Yes, she's being a good person. Right. And she looks down, and Laura is holding a gun. 
Womp womp. Womp womp. And she. So this is where I was. I first started thinking an extremely valuable skill as in high level politics is being able to recognize psychopaths. Yeah. And Norton ain't got it. Ain't got it. Because this woman has been beside her all this time. Years. And she hasn't realized it. Because it immediately starts to escalate. And she takes Norton out to a car because she's, she promised her she was going to get her to City Hall. And, and hold so, on. Just audience, like education, never go to the second location. Never go to the second location. Which in this case is, I promised I would take you to City Hall. Yep. You mean we can't win, Barbara? Here we are. We made it just like I promised you. You killed Gilbert, didn't you? He was I'm going to fulfill that promise. Meanwhile, Nick has been watching some more recorded footage, and he calls it. He calls Skanky, and he's like, keep an eye out for Laura. So he sees some years-old video of Laura Neal with Norton, and Laura gets the medallion. Yep. And I'm wondering, how... Did Reeves get the medallion? That's what I mentioned at the very beginning, is we don't cover that. Also, why is it on a necklace string instead of on a pin? Right. Yep. Anyway. Which, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't, we're never going to find out. So Nick calls it. He sees that Laura has gotten this medallion. He's getting suspicious of how close Laura is to Norton. He calls Skanky to let him in on his suspicions, and Skanky's like, oh, well, they just stepped out back for some air for a second. And Nick's like, holy shit, get back there right now. Because, of course, as he's doing this, unfolding in the back is Laura kidnapping Norton. And so Skanky chases them out. We're going to City Hall. I promised I'd take you to City Hall. We're going to City Hall. And so Skanky chases them out. Well, Nick is flying there. And Skanky is crouched behind this barrel because Laura is shooting at him. And Nick lands behind a car and gets Skanky's attention. He goes, Skanky. And Skanky looks over. Hold on. Oh. No, Skanky, gra- Skanky requisitions someone's car. Not yet. Not yet. So Skanky is crouched behind the barrel. And Nick lands behind a car and he pulls out his own weapon and he looks over and goes, Skanky, to get Skanky's attention. So Skanky looks over like, oh, good, Nick's here. They share a moment where they look at each other. And that is when Laura jumps in the car and drives off. And so Nick takes Uh, off, like flight takes off again. And Skanky dips to go get a car. He does not in any way wait for Nick. Or attempt to get Nick to come with him at all. He operates as if Nick has his own way of chasing them. Which furthers my suspicion and fan theory that Skanky knows exactly what Nick is. Or, if not exactly, he knows close enough. Yeah, he has his suspicions. And in a moment 
like this, he is more than willing to just let Nick do what Nick needs to do. He also doesn't question how Nick got to the scene and got the arrest when he had just seen him at the hotel and Nick had made no effort to get any kind right. of a car. Right. Skanky had the, the eye contact with Nick immediately got a car and sped to City Hall. Yes. To the extent that he crashed into some police cars and provided an extremely valuable distraction. We're going to get there. And when he got there, there. after speeding there recklessly, Nick was already there. Nick was already there. Yes. Yes, so Skanky commandeers a vehicle for the second time in like four episodes. (laughs) (laughs) And they take off after Laura because she's taking Norton to City Hall, literally. And so they're driving full speed up towards City Hall. Crash is imminent, and for once, the curb does its work. They hop up over the curb. Curb kills the car. And the curb kills the car. And they get out, and Laura's like, here you are. Just like I, I promised, promised, I promised I would get you to City Hall. And then immediately she starts confessing everything because, of course, Nick has arrived and he's crouched behind a pillar. Like oh, he's yeah. not even crouched; he's oh, just no. standing there, full silhouette. <laughs> he's like, "Oh yeah, tell her how you killed everybody." Yeah, uh, because Laura's like, "Okay, so first I drowned this guy." by dumping this TV in his room and then he had a girlfriend and I thought she was a liability so I killed her too. She I just... couldn't take the chance that she knew anything about the sex scandal. She's like, I just really wanted you to win. We worked so hard on it together. It's like a they had a group project and this girl got so fucking tired of being the only person in the group project who was doing any real work. She just started killing all the other groups. I have never been that person. <laughs> I was always that person. <laughs> you were that guy I, that everyone remember, was like, not Matt. Not I remember Matt, in high Matt. school chemistry class, my friend Kevin was that guy. You were the, got- you were the other that guy. Oh, my God. I hope Matt's not in my group. (laughs) I I would provide critical insight. I'm sure you did. Pithy repartee. No, no. like No, not pithy? I've always been pithy, honey. Mm, You think so. You think. You know that I think (laughs) I have always been pithy. I know that. That's what I just said. (laughs) But Nick is talking to Laura. He's distracting her. He's drawing her fire, really. He learned a good lesson from dying to know you. He, he puts his gun away. He puts his gun while away. While he's approaching her. And he makes like a threatening approach. So she'll turn her gun no, on him. A distracting approach. Right, right. He has his arms up. He's, he's drawing her fire is what he's doing. And then Skanky provides a very convenient distraction where he crashes into a police car with his commandeered vehicle. Yes. And Nick takes this opportunity to... Whoosh, down the stairs and catch Laura, which I am going to argue. This is number 13 on our list of people that Nick has revealed himself to. Not Laura necessarily, but Norton. Because Norton Norton looked over. She saw that Nick was at the top of the stair 
And then all of a sudden, Nick was right next to them. And I'm going to argue I that... I think, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with you that he definitely presented a situation which could be interpreted as, whoa, how the fuck did he get there? Yeah. Except in that particular context, Norton was not really in the right state of mind to be an objective reference point. Should the only people that go on the list be the people that Nick vamps out in front of? Because we didn't get a vamp out at all in this episode. Because we, in that situation, from Norton's perspective, there's a police officer who's... Really fucking fast. Uh, well, okay. He's walking towards them, talking very calmly. He puts his gun away. He's, he's sending every nonverbal signal of... I am not aggressive, but I'm capturing a lot of your attention. Yeah. And then, perfectly timed, almost like they've rehearsed this. Mm, almost. Skanky crashes a taxi into a police two police car. cars. Yeah. It's really hard to keep track of time spans. Yeah. In tense situations. Okay, so no, this so, is number 13. That's what you're saying. Uh, well, that all happens. We arrest Laura, and then we're back at Nick's but we, home. Okay, before we move on. Okay. Laura is, at this point, just ranting at Norton. Yeah. We're getting heavy Heavy, I'm going to shoot myself vibes. Yeah, Matt was like, oh, oh no. I was like, oh, we have not had suicide in like three episodes. Here it is. Oh, it's coming. I was with you too because I were, think I've watched this episode. They were time. dropping heavy suicide vibes yeah. on Laura Neal. And it's like as she was getting ready to lift the gun to shoot herself, Nick grabs Nick her arm yeah. and, like, s squeezes her wrist so she drops the gun. Right. And that ends, that is the end of that. That is the end of the plot solved, mystery solved, case closed. We got to have our wrap up. So we go back to Nick's home and Natalie is looking through this bag of Nick's shit. This is where she's the audience stand in, where she asks clarifying questions that we would want to know. But in this case, she's going through a suitcase and she's looking at an artifact and he gives her like a brief explanation. It's from the Upper Paleolithic period. It's priceless. That's why like I've that got it complete, in the suitcase. That redefined for the entire field when the Paleolithic began. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And then she pulls out a desk plate. A nameplate. For Nicholas Gerard. For Nicholas Gerard. And it's from his... Well, the job that he was at when he was accused of being a communist. And he gets this kind of bittersweet line about how it's really hard to leave behind a life. Right. And she makes a comment about, like, this is a really important artifact. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's always hard to leave behind a life. It's especially hard when you're forced out of it. 
Is that one too? What? A very, very important piece. Indeed. You are looking at a desk nameplate taken from the Chicago area, circa 1954. It represents the end of a significant period in the ongoing transient life of a certain indigenous vampire. You hated leaving that one behind, didn't you? I know how you feel about archaeology. I had some remarkable students. And I think I was actually making a difference. I don't doubt it for a moment. You know, it's never pleasant moving on. Particularly when you have no choice. Right. And he says, Which is I the had only... some very promising students. Which is the only resolution we get for that flashback. We don't see, we only see the start of his trial. We don't see the conclusion. We don't, we don't catch any of that. So the right. only we thing don't we get, get the fallout of right. what happened in Nick's life is that he, he had, he had to leave that life and that's it period. And we find out that Norton has lost the election. No big surprise for anybody. And Skanky is tastelessly on the TV celebrating. Oh my God, Skanky. Just <sighs> jumping across the screen, happy because his his candidate won by default, basically. Right. And so that's it. That's the end of the episode. All wrapped up. Nice little political package. A little bit of commentary on journalism little bit of commentary on politics, little bit of commentary on what zealousness over politics causes people to do. And that's, that's it. It's done. That's the episode. Yep. Uh, that was the second lowest rated episode of season one. Next Which, week is uh, the third lowest rated episode of season one. <laughs> <laughs> Dying for fame. So that should be exciting. That one has some some wild times. So I hope you are ready. wild times. Wild times. W I L D or W Y L D? W Y L D. Obviously. All right. Oh my God. Uh, I don't. I think we don't have a lot of wrap up. We talked about pretty much everything throughout this episode. I think you talked. You talked plenty. You're good. So you're telling me to shut up. You're good, son. You're good. <laughs> If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's a good place to keep up with what we're up to. I know I say it every single time, but just want to put it out there. I do keep it updated, um, almost religiously, if I have a religious and religion at all, I guess. That. <laughs> um, I, I try to keep it updated with interesting things. And um, when we have new episodes out or when we have interesting stuff going on, any kind of news, whatever I tend to put on there, that's the Instagram page at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I'm also going to start posting more on the Patreon page. I haven't been as up to date with it as I have been with the Instagram, but now that the pod lab is finished, I have a few, little bit more free time, so I can start putting some stuff on the Patreon page. We also have a website that has all of our links, including the submission form if you want to submit something. I'm always happy to hear we have gotten three submissions in the history of Strange and Beautiful Book Club. And that's at strangeandbeautiful.club. Yes, correct. Thank you. It's in the show notes. Links in the show notes. Links in the show notes. Uh, I always put it in there, along with the Instagram and the Patreon link. Or if you're on Instagram, you can just use our link tree to find it. It's on our link tree as well. So I try to make sure it's everywhere, easily accessible and available for anybody to check out and try. 
We're happy to get any kind of feedback, anything like that. Um, we're just happy to hear. I'd love to build a community. I think that's what I'm really in for. I was journaling today and I was trying to decide what is the definition of success for me with the podcast. And what I concluded was just having an interactive community. Just a back and forth with people other than you. Not that I don't love you, honey. But I talk to you all the time. And what I wanted when I was younger and I was watching this show by myself was a community that I could discuss it with. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking for now. And if you noticed, I updated our description page, description information. We're already doing it, so I figured we might as well just lean into it, which is highlighting and exploring forgotten sci-fi, fantasy, and horror movies. Uh, I feel like horror gets a lot of, it gets a lot. I'm happy to explore horror movies that I feel get overlooked. Um, But there's really a lot of great sci-fi and fantasy out there as well that I feel like we can highlight and discuss and bring back into the spotlight, fairly or unfairly. We'll just have to decide. Uh, Which I think will be part of the fun, because some of it we won't have seen either. If you're not on Instagram, join us on Patreon. There's a dollar tier. What's a dollar? Come on. You can hop on it. I'm going to keep it updated like I keep the Instagram updated. It's a great place to, if you go all, if you spring for the $3 tier, you can talk to us on Discord, like in real life. IRL. IRL, but you know, on Discord. So that pretty much wraps it up. Instagram, Patreon, website. Like, subscribe, rate, give us five stars wherever you can, pushes up, pushes us up the algorithm, gets us closer to that community that I would really love to build. And that's pretty much it. So did you have anything you want to share? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you do your thing. <laughs> Remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are. And love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.